Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Good morning, everybody. Let's see. We got power. All right. That should get us going here. We are live streaming on TikTok, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Uh, for everybody who's watching not on Facebook, I would urge you to go to Facebook. I'm actually going to be doing a screen share. Uh, last week was the first in a series that we do every year called Mastering the Basics. And we talked about SOPs. This, this is a laminated SOP checklist. It's a field guide for my people that they take out. The one you're looking at here happens to be the cabinet SOP. So there's one side for the field and there's one side for the shop. Today, we're going to be talking about this particular SOP. Last week, I shared over a hundred of, uh, I shared with about a hundred people, all of my SOPs. So now I'm going to show you actually how to get this stuff going. If you guys have any questions, any suggestions, uh, any clarifying stuff, drop it in here. Otherwise I'm basically going to walk you through in my beloved Slavic shop with all my specialized gear, how we do cabinets. Now, remember, this is a data point. All right. This is a data point over the last 30 years. Uh, this is the method that I've developed. Now, is it perfect? No, nothing is, right? But it is a perfect system to deliver what we promise to the client. And that's what you have to realize. I may use different products. I may use different grit sanding paper. I may use a different sprayer. I may use a different system. I may have a completely different theory about cabinets. But here's what you need to know. We make a very distinct promise to our clients. This SOP for our estimators help them carry that out. The standard operating procedure, the SOP for our project managers, help them produce it. And then the SOP for our painters, make sure that we deliver on that promise. So you may change all the things about this. This is a fairly agnostic system. Um, but what this does do perfectly, it is delivers on a promise to the client. And that thing is uh, something that the trades do not do very well. So we are going to be here. Do, 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 do. Oh, man, we got questions. All right, guys. So here's the deal. I got to lay down some content and I'm going to start scrolling back through TikTok, Instagram and Facebook, and I will get back to all of uh, all of you guys here. So if you want SOPs, I offer them in my last show. I show you how we create them, the theory about them. I will uh, I will offer the same thing. My email address is in uh, the notes and the screen share on Facebook. I'm going to actually show you the training SOP. Uh, again, we have SOP checklist. We have the full training SOP that I'm going to bring up on screen. And then we're actually going to paint stuff today, which is really cool. I got a whole rack full of cabinets here at different stages. I'm going to show you exactly how we do what we do. This is one of the funnest shows I do every year. It's also one of my most popular shows every year. Surprise, surprise, because I actually paint something, right? So we're going to get after it today. I got my mobile set up here on wheels. Uh, first thing that we're going to do is uh, is bring up the screen share. I'm going to start walking you through step by step that SOP, how we train people, and then I'm going to duck out and I'm going to be actually painting some stuff for you. So let's bring up our do, 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 do. lots of people watching this morning. All right, folks. And remember, I got to lay down some content. We'll get back to your questions there. We have links to the PCA Expo. We have links to my master's classes. We have links to come to the retreat with me. Um, also, Business Accelerator. Uh, if you like any of this stuff, the PCA's actually got a crash course for you and other people uh, to do that. 
Uh, but today we're actually going to paint some stuff. So what you're seeing here is my training SOP. This is show number 346, Mastering the Basics, where we actually take a deep dive into the standard operating procedure for my cabinets. Now, remember, I'm going to show you the steps. This is a fairly agnostic pro process. The one thing I want you to take away is my theory. You can, you can debate products. You can debate sanding grit. You can debate spray tips all day. Here's the thing that I do not waffle on. I am a firm believer in a very thorough, very simple, very quick prep process. One coat of primer, two top coats of enamel, all sprayed. That's what we do. We do it in the house. We do it in the shop. That's, that's the basic of all this stuff. So you can switch out sprayers. You can sp switch out uh, grits. You can switch out anything. But here's the theory that I do not waffle on. Prep, prime, two coats of enamel, all professionally sprayed. So let's get going here, folks. All right. So number one, I always like to tell people, uh, I am not one of those guys that poo-poos DIYers, other professionals. You may use a weenie roller. You may use a brush on cabinets in houses. I do not look down on any of that stuff. There is a professional way that I can do that, that you can do that. But here's the deal. We do not want to make human errors. What I'm showing on the screen share in Facebook right now is sets of cabinets that have hair stuck to them, no prep, roller, worm marks everywhere, huge amounts of stipple, crazy, like sticky, semi-gloss wall paint, things like that. Now, listen, here's the thing. I do not blame most people for making mistakes on cabinets. I do blame pros, right? If you're out there selling stuff, if you're out there promising something to the client, you must deliver. And I will hold you to a high standard. But DIYers, here's the thing. If you go to a big box store and ask them how to paint your golden oak cabinets, you will likely get incorrect um, information. It's not because those people are bad. It's just because nobody has thought as much about a lot of us thoughtful pros out here. So here's the basic idea. You want to prep it. You want to prime it. You want to put two coats of something on it. And I'm going to walk you through that today. This is what we do, right? So now what you're looking at is a beautiful picture of a cabinet with crown molding. This is a very simple process, right? You don't have to buy any specialized tools, all the coatings and prep stuff you can get at any hardware store or any paint store. These are not like coatings that we make ourselves in a special secret vat back here. These are readily available materials that you can use. Even these sprayers, they are expensive, right? They're 800 bucks a piece, thousand bucks a piece, but still you can just walk right down to a big box store or a paint store and buy one of these things. They are readily available for everybody. And on Facebook, the screen share, uh, I'm showing you what we do with our process. Sorry, we're taking a little, uh, I'm trying to work a PowerPoint presentation with my finger on a tablet with two other streaming devices here. So, all right, standard operating procedure. An SOP, like I shared last week, Deep Dive, is a step-by-step -step guide. It's based on my three decades of experience doing this stuff, right? I want it simple. I want it quick. I want the most value for the client, but I also want to maintain that super high professional level of finish. Uh, basically, if you do this process in my company, you will get a big win, not only for yourself, but for the client. And that's very important to us. All right, step number one in all of my SOPs is put out a yard sign. So again, we, we talked about this in our company kickoff. When we show up to a job site, the most effective way to get yard signs out and yard signs account for maybe three to 5% of all of our business is to have a painter do it. So we actually put it in their SOP. All right, and then what we do is what you're looking at now is a thing we call a jump sheet. This is our work order in my company. Uh, this lists what client you're working for, where they're at, 
what things we're doing in their house, the coatings, the colors, and the finishes, and the paint quantity in there. This is also how we track all our job costing stuff. So number one, when you get on site as a painter in my company, you pull this up on your phone and you basically walk through the house and saying, okay, we're doing this room, this room, this room, this color, this paint, this finish, good to go. So before pictures, that's next on my SOP. This is something that we tie to painters compensation plans. We do need before and after pictures of here, not necessarily for, um, okay, so there's people on Instagram saying we're not getting screen share. I cannot screen share on Instagram, folks. You guys have to go to Facebook uh, to get this screen share information. That's just how it's rolling today. That's how we do it. So before pictures. Then we set up a shop. So what you're seeing is our tote system where we have all this uh, sort of standard gear in a tote. And what we do is we set out a drop cloth. Uh, we, we set up a little shop somewhere in the house as a base of, as a base of doing our stuff. All right, then we create a project plan. So here's what I'm gonna do for you guys. I'm gonna actually show you how we create a project plan. So without trying to tip over my whole tech setup, I am going to wheel it over to our whiteboard. Uh, in the shop, we use whiteboards. Uh, but in the field, we actually use brown floor paper or rosin paper to do this sort of stuff. So I'm going to show you how we actually figure out how to get a win on these projects. All right. So what you're seeing here, uh, various forms here, uh, Instagram, you're going to see, I'm going to try to do the whole thing. Facebook, you're definitely seeing the whole thing. This is the template for how we lay out a project plan. This is something very special at our company, very simple, very straightforward but uh, it increases profitability, it increases accountability, it makes sure that we're being efficient for the client, and it's basically being intentional about what are we gonna do every day on this job to make sure we get a win. So here we go. Number one, the layout is always, here's the name of the, of the project. We have a site budget, we have a shop budget, and we have the, the plan. We always list things over here, to do, to ask, and to get because we can't remember day to day, like if you run out of floor paper or if you need another spray tip, it's always better to write this stuff down because uh, you're not going to remember it at the end of the day. So uh, actually, you know what here, let's hide that on Facebook. Let's, there we go. We'll give you the full one here. And then we basically plan out the week. We work a four day work week. So you can notice there's only Monday through Thursday on here. We list the number of doors and drawers on the job. That helps us out with the budget uh, for our shop. We use a calculation of 20 minutes per door and drawer in our shop. So if we have 40 doors and drawers. We multiply by 20 minutes per door and drawer. We divide by 60 and that tells us how many hours that, it, that we have for a budget in the shop. So basically on a 40 piece kitchen, 40 doors and drawers, and we're really agnostic as to drawer fronts or glass front or just standard doors. It all evens out in the end. That gives us about 13.3 hours to take a 40 piece door in prep, prime, sand again, two coats of enamel, and then deliver to the site for our people. And then what we do, let's just call this a theoretical 40 hour project. Just break it out nicely. We have to take that shop budget from the field budget. So then we have 26.7 hours on site uh, to get this stuff done. So day number one on our, uh, on our cabinet projects are a big day. So we, we prep SVT and prime. It is very important for us because we use oil primer uh, in our process that we get that primer on the site the first day. The problem is if it takes us all day to prime and then we prime here, our primer technically dries in about an hour or two, but it's not sandable till you do about overnight. So really, if we show up, if we don't, if we don't race to primer the first day, we prime the next day and then we have to not do anything that day. We lose a day and come back the next day. So really, it's a big day the first day. We prep, prime, and SVT. 
And this will take 10 hours of a human's time. Actually, you know what's here? I'll keep all the hours and budget stuff in red. So we'll go, so we go 10, 10 hours right there, just like that. So first day there, we get it primed. This thing dries overnight. We got an air scrubber. We got a negative air machine running on site. We show up the next day and we SVT again. SVT. Patch. Caulk. Normally there's not a lot of nail hole patching or caulking to do. There's a couple joints where the cabinets meets the wall or joints where it inside 90s on, a, on an inside turn in a kitchen. There's not that much stuff there. Uh, we do not caulk cabinet doors and I'll have more on that later. But basically we're going SVT, which is sandbag tack. I'll show you that process. We patch, we caulk, and then top one. And then typically what we find on our jobs is people always say, well, what happens then during this drying time or do you have downtime? Typically what we always do is we almost never just paint cabinets. There's always something else in the house to do. It's always accompanied with some other wall projects, even some other cabinet projects. So typically what we do is we start working on some walls and stuff like that. Now, if it's a smaller piece, if it's a vanity and things like that, we might be able to fit in a top two towards the end of the day. But typically what we find is that it is, if we have other things to do on site, what we'll do is we'll do those other things. And then the next day we'll do top two. And this is, and again, remember, this is all on site. Top two, deep prep, install, And this is what we'll do here. If we can get cabinet doors in and out of the shop in that time, we typically will. But normally what we do is we want to give it some time to sort of like breathe in the shop, dry a little bit. So the fastest we can do is about three days on a cabinet job. But typically what you'll find us do is this top two deep prep. And then there's typically more fill work. So this typically ends up being a shorter day. If it's 10 hours, remember, this is only for the cabinets. If we're also doing walls, we'd be adding budget to this. So let's just call this a six hour day here. Top two and deep prep, which would typically be a two hour day. And then on a Thursday, our cabinet doors would be done in the shop. We come here and we inspect them, we load them up and we take them to the site and install. So then we will do install, White glove clean, white glove clean. So then we, uh, we, we wipe down and we clean up the area around us. Uh, contractors are pretty bad at that, uh, but it's a very important thing for us. So we'll probably call this one a, let's see, we got 16, 18, and we only got about another, yeah, eight hours. So why don't we do, seems to me like about an eight hour day there. So now we're running at about 18, 26 hours. So the plan on site is 26, which puts us about 10% under budget planning on that just for any contingencies. So shop, if they can get it in 13.3, if site can get it in 26.7 hours, we have hit the budget on this project. We have delivered maximum value to the client, a beautiful finish. And we're also efficient so that if we, you know, the, the thinking is we give them their kitchen back on a Thursday. So then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they can put it back together. If we do not get them their kitchen back together, all of a sudden they have to go three more days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, without a kitchen, 
We come back Monday and then typically people work, uh, kids, school, things like that. They don't get all their kitchen put back together. And then they're basically out of, out of a kitchen for two weeks instead of one week, which is really cool. So one of the things we want to do is maximize the client experience and being intentional about the plan like this really helps that. Now, every single crew, every single project, every single day, this stuff gets done on site. All right. And uh, I've done master's classes on these sort of things. Uh, we've done Ask a Painter shows on these. But this is the basis of being intentional about what you do. So now we have a project plan. Now we can go forth and do some stuff. I'll bring up my, there we go. Make sure my screen's in order. We'll go back to our moving the client's personal items. So now we're on site. We've, we've inspected the entire thing. We know exactly what we're doing. Here's the thing, folks. Our clients, as part of the contract, have to clean out their cabinets. That's just a thing. But we do move furniture. And I specifically put a picture in this screen share about this because if there's a couple items left in the kitchen on a countertop or on a shelf or in a drawer, we move it for them. But we do not empty out the entire kitchen. We can certainly offer that service to somebody, but typically people don't want to pay for us to just move their silverware and cups and, and uh, crock pots out of the kitchen, things like that. So, uh, da, 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 da. and I also see tons and tons of questions coming in here, folks. So, uh, don't worry. I will get to that, uh, very shortly here, but I do want to make sure we're being consistent with this time. So if people want to breeze through this, they can see the SOP and then we'll start doing some finishing and stuff here. So floor protection, what you're seeing here is a fully prepped floor. Number one, we do a perimeter of tape around the floor, around the trim, and then we fill in with either floor paper or grip, right? Which is kind of a woven, uh, roofing, uh, underlayment like that. What you're also seeing too is uh, something that we are known for is our fridge pads. They are very, very thin doormats that we use to put in front of the fridge because even when we protect the floor with rosin paper or that grip right, we still put fridge pads underneath. We hop the fridge on top of them and then we don't damage floors. If you've ever seen a fridge, uh, the little rollers underneath, they're kind of like one inch plastic rollers. And if you get a piece of sand stuck in those things, you can actually hear that sand stop the wheel and grind across the floor which is one of the most uh, scary sounds as a craftsperson you'll ever hear. So what you're seeing now is uh, a slide uh, that I teach people called when flooring protection goes bad. So number one, here's the deal. We use low tack blue painters tape, right? We lay down that first, we lay the floor protection over and then we tape all the floor protection together to seal it up. What you're seeing there is a picture of a gloss oak strip floor, a natural wood floor, where we had used um, uh, uh, low-tack painter's tape and it actually pulled the finish off the floor. Now, here's the thing, folks. Um, we have in a contract that says, uh, and, and you're actually seeing uh, our one-page contract uh, that, we, uh, that we use for all clients. They have to sign off on it. We have a clause in there that says, if low-tech painter's tape pulls up a flooring finish, it is the responsibility of the flooring contractor, not the painter. And here's the theory. Now, I don't want to be punitive, right? Contracts, I'm very careful about these things because I don't want to have this 18-page monstrosity that scares clients away. But we also have to be upfront and honest, set proper expectations, and make sure that as professionals, we're telling the client what they can expect in this process, the goods and the bads of it, and things that we've experienced. We owe that to them. So here's what we do in this. Here's the theory. If we were to paint a set of kitchen cabinets, right? And let's say somebody's in installing a tile backsplash and they use blue tape to sort of mask off the cabinets so that they don't get grout or adhesive or anything else or tile sealer on that stuff. At the end of that day, when that tile guy is done with the backsplash and pulls his blue tape, if that pulls all the paint off the cabinets that we just did, 
guess who the client's going to call? The painter, right? Because the painter did that. The painter's paint failed, rightly so, and they should be held accountable. When painters pull up a floor finish, guess who gets called? The painter, not the flooring guy, right? It never happens. Nobody ever on their own calls their flooring guy and say, hey, by the way, low-tech painter's tape pulled up the finish that you put on my floor. Uh, that feels to me like that was not a good floor finish. They always call the painter for some reason, right? Understand, it's fine. It always happens. But we have that in there saying, listen, and I give them the example of the tile backsplash in the cabinets. I'd say, if you did this to our cabinets and pulled the paint off, we'd be held accountable. Rightly so, if we're being just in this process and, and right, if it pulls up the flooring finish, we didn't put down that flooring finish. That is a failed flooring finish. You need to hold your flooring contractor uh, accountable to that sort of thing. So that's exactly what we tell our people to do. Now, best advice from a decent human being, somebody who lives by the golden rule and a master craftsperson, don't go waving your contractor around a client's face. They're a human too. Um, you may, you may verbally brief them. They sign off in writing, but you still have to be very empathetic to the process because their house is a little bit lesser than when you started. It may not be your fault, but you do have to be empathetic. So make sure you have an in-person conversation or a phone call with them about it, explaining this entire process, sending off an email as empathetic as you think it is, is not going to be as useful as you think it will be. It is not. People read into a lot of emotions in the emails. So that's what um, that's what I would encourage you guys to do with that sort of thing. So, uh, da, 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 da. all right. Countertop protection. So now the theory is we protected the floor because we're going to be standing on it. We protect the countertops. We use uh, rosin paper, grip right, you know, the same thing, but we seal in the countertops because we typically work on top of it. Come on, PowerPoint. Then we remove the doors and the hinges. So what you're seeing here is our process. We take them off. We write the actual um, uh, number of door. We have a simple numbering system, top to bottom, left to right, one, two, three, four, five, whatever. We write it in that little cup hinge like that and then put a piece of tape over it because we'll be priming with oil primer. We, we don't want to lose those numbers. Our oil primer will block even black Sharpie marker. And at the end of the project, then we peel off that little bit of tape and we see our number and then we hang it. It's fine to write on those there because the hinge goes back over it and covers it like that. Then we remove the hardware. Now, this is something <clears throat> this is something that is uh, is very distinct uh, to our company here. So it's a simple process. But what you don't want to do is take all the hinges in a house, throw them in a five gallon bucket and say, yeah, we'll just Johnny Appleseed these around later at the end of the project and put them all back in. Why? Because every single one of those is custom adjusted to that door. Cabinet boxes are not perfect. Cabinet doors are not perfect. Houses are not perfect. So every door has a little bit of adjustment on there and uh, they're all custom adjusted to each door. So if you just Johnny Appleseed them all around the kitchen, everything is going to be all weird. Uh, it's going to be like broken teeth everywhere. So what we do is think of when you open up a double cabinet door thing here, you have uh, an upper cup hinge and lower cup hinge. So what we do is inside the cabinet box, We'll remove those and lay those down in there. So the top hinge is towards the back of the cabinet. The lower hinge is towards the front of the cabinet. And they're perfectly fine there because then we mask off the inside of the cabinets like that. <coughs> Tape and plastic the cabinet interiors. So Next thing we do is we take our 3M hand masker, we take our plastic and we take our tape and we actually do a step back method. We do one round of tape first. I really had uh, two minds about this. I was gonna do a full prep demo, masking demo, things like that. This would turn into a three hour show. So <clears throat> I have tons of videos online of me doing this stuff, old master's classes and, and everything else there. Uh, I can always direct you with a link. Otherwise search up Nick Slavic 
ask a painter cabinets and you'll see this, but basically 3M masking. The one thing we do unique in my company is called the step back method, which is we do one round of blue tape first before we apply any plastic. And then when we apply plastic, we actually step it back about an inch, give or take. And that allows that plastic to not come into contact with that front uh, rail and style frame of those cabinets. So when you're sanding or spraying, that plastic isn't chattering, it's not sticking, things like that. So. All right. Doo -doo. So, and what you're seeing now is a, uh, an example of what we're looking for, of what we call tight prep in the company. There's a set of cabinets right there, step back tape method, beautiful tight plastic. We even have an outlet from a microwave uh, cubby in there that's covered too, because obviously we don't want to spray paint over microwaves or uh, excuse me, outlets. Then we go through masking appliances. And I have a couple slides here demonstrating exactly how we do this, which is um, dishwasher. Here's the deal. We open it up and we line the sides and the top of that flip down door with blue tape, give or take. It gives it a nice hard surface. And then we uh, mask the front with all the plastic that seals it up. So people will say, well, then, Nick, how do you get those? You know, that that face frame of the cabinet comes here, that door insets here. How do you get these returns on those? Here's what we do. You can either spend another two hours masking that off so you can open it, spray it and shut it again. But that gets complicated. You're sticking plastic in there. Uh, things could come into contact and stick to each other. What we do is we seal up the door, seal the whole thing up, spray. And then at the end, when we demask, we actually take a brush and we touch up those uh, corners. If that's the case, a lot of times cabinets are built in a way where you can actually just spray those, give or take. So I, we typically try to not overthink it. What you're seeing now on Facebook is something we call envelope masking for refrigerators. We pull our fridge out on our fridge, pad, fridge pads over our floor protection, and we take nine foot uh, 3M plastic, and we start at the back lower left-hand corner. We bring that plastic, you know, that dispensable plastic all the way around, uh, left side, top side, right side. And then we expand the plastic over and we envelope mask in the front like this. Why? because all the clients want to get in their refrigerators. Even when a client will tell you, we don't need our kitchen for a week, no problem. We'll just get down, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll use our downstairs thing, this and that, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, but they're gonna to wanna to get in that fridge and that sink sooner or later. So, um, all right guys, holy cow, there's a bunch of questions coming in here. Don't worry guys, I will get to those at the end. We'll go through every single one of those. Uh, but it's envelope masking. It's a thing we promised during the estimating process so that every night when you have those two flaps of plastic, the client can just take off one piece of tape, open it up, get what they need. And then the next day we can just put the flaps back and tape them and it's done. You could seal that up tight, but if the client gets in there, cuts it and, and, and gets in there, now you're going to have to remask things like this. This is modular masking. So where you can, you can apply it and, and not apply it as you go. And then we do a stove. So there's two types of stoves that we run into, the flat glass top sort of uh, ranges like that. When we cover those, we have to mark those in a whole bunch of ways. We use colored tape. We put things on there just so that uh, nobody, uh, you know, when we're standing on a ladder, we don't errantly put a, put a foot or a knee or, or lean anything on it like that. With, with a, a standard tuck-in stove like this, what we actually do is take floor protection, either that grip right or that paper, cut a big sheet and slide it between the stove and the cabinets because if you just mask off the front of the stove or the top, when you're spraying, you could shoot some overspray on the side. And if the client ever pulls that thing out, they're gonna see overspray on the side of that or even on the floor. And we don't want that. That's not what a pro would do. So we actually slide in that paper between the cabinet and the, um, and the stove, wrap it around the front and then seal it to the floor like that. That way, nothing is getting past the front there on, on floor or appliance. And then we look for other things like windows, doors, lighting fixtures. We're starting to work in the miscellaneous. You know, we do floor, we do countertops, we do cabinets, 
we do appliance and now we're looking for the little stuff like in the picture i have here this kitchen there's two drop down uh sconces medallion lights like that we'll cover those we'll cover the windows everything like that and uh this is kind of an, an ancillary step if you have um uh, if you have uh, furniture in the next room, give or take, cover that stuff. Uh, sometimes we use zip walls, uh, zip poles and things to sort of make a make a, a room divider, things like that. And then we degrease. So let's get into some actual, actual cabinet stuff. All right, so we are here and I'll give you a... Uh, I'll give you a tour of my facility. Oop, let me let me get rid of my presentation here quick. Sorry, I gotta walk around this big old sanding table right here. Let me hide this guy real quick. All right, so uh, let's see. Instagram, TikTok can see. Let me tilt down my monitor real quick. Hold tight, guys. We gotta get three things in sync here, so we got a lot going on here. There we go. Okay, so now people, people go through all sorts of crazy, elaborate sort of cabinet prep systems. Uh, I'm gonna show you the thing that has led to no failures. You can do more. I would not, argue, I would not urge you to do less, but this is our, our standard prep process. So let's say you have a cabinet door here that was near the range in the kitchen. You gotta use some common sense here, right? If you have a peninsula or a bar or something, uh, that touches the dining room on the back side, underside of that, you're typically not going to find a lot of grease, but you never know. Typically what we do is we look around the range and the undersides of those cabinets around the range. If somebody's got a little countertop fry daddy or right near the range where they cook everything, that's where we kind of look for the grease. So there are lots of sort of like old wife tales and uh, old, old painter tricks and stuff like that. But honestly, folks, um, we use Windex. Um, this is one of the quickest, one of the easiest ways to get grease off cabinets. I like it because it's readily available. You probably already have it and it evaporates quickly. Because if you take a, an ice cream pail full of Dawn dish soap and water and start scrubbing and scrubbing, you're going to get water <clears throat> that permeates into the rails and styles and the panel grooves here. And it may come back out later or you're soaking wood, which is not a great thing for the finishing process. If you allow for adequate dry, dry time, that's perfectly fine. But we like to, to not introduce any moisture into this process if we don't have to. So typically what we'll do is we'll take a microfiber. Microfiber seems to be just aggressive enough to get that stuff off. And if we sense, if we sense grease, all we'll do is something like this. Just making sure to hit every square inch of that thing. And basically, by the time you're done there, that cabinet door is already dry. It's already squeaky clean. You can see that there. And there's nothing on there. That's typically what we do. Now, let's just say you got somebody who renders hog fat in their kitchen, right? And there's like stuff you have to scrape off the cabinets. That's a whole nother deal. And typically what we'll do then is go to the nuclear option, which is liquid TSP. And we'll mix this with, uh, you know, maybe 10 to one, uh, 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 one part of this, 10 parts of water, a little stronger if you want. And then we'll scrub like that. Uh, TSP, trisodium phosphate, actually on the chemical level, um, I'm not a scientist, so I'm going to describe this in a painter's way to you. It actually chemically releases 
uh, grease particles off of the cabinets, puts them in suspension in the liquid that you have so that you can wipe them off. And, and you notice if you ever use liquid TSP and scrub some cabinets, you actually make this really slimy sort of uh, substance like their slippery substance. You're actually at the starting phases of making chemical soap. You know, soap is made with some sort of fat and, and things like that. And basically what you're doing is you're taking that fat off the cabinets, uh, turning it into uh, the first part of soap. But it actually does a really good job of releasing. But it's, it's mostly unnecessary, honestly, for most kitchens. And people will say, well, my gosh, what about all these kitchens? We do this in every kitchen. My data point is that we only do this on one of every 17, one of out of every 20 kitchens. So it's not a crazy process. And using mainly this method, and then maybe one out of 50 kitchens using the liquid TSP, we've never had a failure uh, in 15 years of doing business. So I'm not telling you it's the only way. I'm telling you that I have a pretty good data set on this one right here. We've not had a failure, that sort of thing like this. So I'll turn back around here. All right. All right, I'll put up my presentation back there again, and we're almost getting ready to start priming stuff. So now what you're seeing is the actual greasy cabinets on Facebook from the kitchen that we're using as an example in my training SOP. And when I went above that range hood, I just saw, you know, from, from being a craftsperson, you just look up there and you're like, yeah, that kind of looks like it's probably got some grease. So I did kind of like the fingerprint test where I pressed my thumb into it and it made a little like that. You can actually see my thumbprint on there. And that tells me that, yeah, it's, it's not a dirty kitchen. It's just got some cooking, uh, cooking uh, stuff on there. So uh, yeah, we basically just scrubbed and I, I show you the rag after about 10 minutes of scrubbing and the whole kind of eight cabinet sort of section right there. Uh, not bad. It comes right off. And uh, yeah, that kitchen is still in, in good, in good shape today. Now, uh, before we're getting ready to prime and sand and all that stuff, uh, we actually uh, take air returns and air vents and put filters in them. We buy fiberglass furnace filters, we cut them up, and then we friction fit them in the actual air returns and vents in houses. So if you think about it, most people think that air vents in houses just blow out hot or cold air. There are vents throughout the house that normally the bigger ones that are called air returns. And what they do is suck in air from that area, take it down to the furnace and distribute it to the rest of the house. So you can obviously see the potential problem uh, with that sort of thing. If you're creating a bunch of dust or overspray or odor, that can go through there, go down to the furnace, possibly ruin the furnace, and then get distributed everywhere in the house. You could fill the house with overspray if you're not using the right spray equipment. So we put filters in those vents. They're simple fiberglass filters, but they cut down on the odor and they eliminate uh, the dust particles and things like that, which is really cool. We patch nail holes. Uh, typically, um, we don't run into a lot of nail holes. We're working in houses that are uh, already lived in. So there's not a bunch of new construction, remodeling, stuff like that. But we do inspect for them because uh, when you paint all your cabinets white or another color, they stick out quite a bit. And then we go through our SVT process. This is something uh, that we have. So we don't want to say it's ours because it's a basic system, but we kind of coined it SVT. So for a training process, we sand, we vac, we tack rag, things like that. We've tried everything over the years. You can do this process with simple things you find at a hardware store or a paint store, or you can get super elaborate with professional equipment like we have. Uh, I'm just going to show you our method here today. So we'll do our sand vac and tack demo. Let me move you back over here. I'll put this down again, and I'll actually show you here in real time how we sand back and tack all of our stuff. Make sure our camera is all straight here. So, okay, here's what we have. We have uh, a stack of cabinet doors right here. I tell you what, I'm going to move that up just a little bit. Here we talk. 
Sorry guys, we got some complicated tech today trying to get everybody on board on all these platforms here, so. Okay. So there is lots of mis misperceptions, misconceptions, old wives tale about what you actually need to do to prep a cabinet door. Uh, I went deep uh, over the last 15 years because I'm really curious about this process. I contacted all the coatings manufacturers. I looked for all the coatings nerds in there, the scientists, the geeks. Uh, I was actually just at the 3M World headquarters yesterday, uh, our beloved sandpaper manufacturers and stuff. And we can go deep into the science of how particles wear, how they shear, why sandpaper works. I love this stuff, guys. You know that about me. So I have done deep, deep dives into this stuff. And uh, we have a library of cabinet doors in the shop where we've done no prep. We've done all the prep. We've stripped them down the bare wood. We've done this and that. Combinations of primers, how thick, how thin, uh, things like that. And what I'm going to show you now is my process. We have not had a failure in 15 years. I would not say this is the only way to do it. It's probably not a perfect process. I can offer you my data point, which is zero failures, perfect system every single time. So we have cabinet doors here. Let me make sure my sanding stuff is. All right. So you guys know me. I am a lover of our surf prep stuff like this. We use the three by four. Uh, these. So surf prep sanders, um, a lot of people don't have great context for them. Um, these sanders are super professional, ultra professional industrial sanders. They're made to be used 24 hours a day by sanding robots and everything else. If you've ever used one of these things compared to just an off the shelf, a $20, you know, buzzer sander, uh, a random orbital sander or something, you can feel the refinement in the movements and the gears and the parts of this stuff. Um, I am a huge fan of this company. They are not paying for this. They make great machines, but also if you've ever actually contacted the family who owns it, uh, they will help you with any of this stuff. Uh, we had one of these that fell out of calibration. We immediately message them and within 10 minutes, somebody from that family is actually helping us and telling us how to fix this. We recalibrated, we got it back in the thing. They care about this as much as I care about painting. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. So we have um, all sorts of stuff. We have uh, all sorts of vacuums. We have off the shelf ones. We have Merca on that side. We got our Fest tool over here. And I do this mainly to show you guys that uh, we buy the best stuff and a lot of it works really, really well. You can hook up stuff. Like I'm looking at a bank of sprayers over there. Half of them have Titan sprayers and hoses on Graco machines and Graco sprayers and hoses on Titan machines. Don't hyper-focus on the actual stuff. Find something that works and use it forever. You guys know too that I'm a huge fan of medium squishy. Uh, Surf Prep pioneered these things. This is the medium grit, uh, and it's got the squishy background. I, I like the uh, the thick, the half-inch one like this. Comes in, comes in cases like this, and uh, they actually introduced Pro Foam recently. So uh, the foam lasts a whole lot longer. We can basically do uh, 20 to 40 cabinet doors with one pad at the medium grit level with the way we sand them without changing out, which is a cool thing. And once in a while, you run into a piece of hardware or a, or a screw or something like that, and it rips it. Uh, it does not with these Pro Foam things, which is really cool. So you can obviously hear that when we trigger this, it'll trigger a vacuum. <laughs> Also, in this sanding table here, you can see we have our surf prep inspection lights here. You, when you have a cabinet door here, um, there's a lot of theory behind what we do here. This isn't just a table. When you pull a cabinet door up like this, it's very hard to see the flaws, the scratch marks, and things like that. When you put it down here, 
everything comes out of this thing. This has just got some shop dust on it. I'll clear that off for you here. This table is at a certain height at at least belt height. It's probably 33 to 35 inches, uh, give or take, possibly even 36, depending on the floor pads. But you want everything like I'm standing here. I'm not leaning over. Everything is at a nice, comfortable level. This helps save on the eyes when you inspect stuff like this. Um, this HEPA vacuum tied to this and the super efficient suction system on all this stuff will keep dust down. Also, if you'll see this here, uh, actually we'll do this one. You can't see that on Facebook. We actually have holes in the top of this table with a rubber mat because there's a huge industrial fan down in this table that when we're really getting after it's sanding, it'll actually take all that down there in a filtering system. So it's perfectly dust free and safe and clean, not only for us, but we're not spreading dust all over this facility. So right now I'm going to show you exactly in real time, the standard in my company for SVMT. So we'll start off with the sander here. The vac part is a brush attachment. You want the brush attachment on there to agitate uh, all the dust on there. And then we use tack rag and water, which you see there. So robotic system, we do edges first, we do back first, and then we flip it over and do the front. So back right here, we'll start with the edges and then we'll move to the front. cabinet bumper right there, little silicone cabinet bumper. We'll ship that off. And then it's very important to get that adhesive backing off. That adhesive backing has just enough kind of petroleum products that even if you oil prime it, it may stay soft. So one thing we want to be super intentional of, and you can see the two dots down in the corner there, we got to make sure we get those off. So we'll sand a little more. <laughs> trying to do is lightly sand it to scuff the surface. And the theory behind that is uh, when you scuff the surface, you actually create larger crags in there. So when your oil primer seeps in, there's actually more effective contact area with that. So you're just giving it a little scuff. You could certainly take it down to bare wood too. That'd be great. But I found that with this prep process and the oil primer we use, we do not have any failures. We do not have any chips, things like that. Now with a shop vac like this, we have a standard shop vac under there, extended hose, and, uh, and a brush attachment here. I'll just fire this thing up. We'll dust it off and then we'll tack rag. Same order. Edges first.
All right, so theoretically with a HEPA vac attached to this, you probably wouldn't need that step. To me, it's just belt and suspenders. It doesn't take that long. So now we have a paint can full of clean water. We have a microfiber like this. And I know people use um, sometimes chemicals, paint thinner, denatured alcohol, things like that. But honestly, water in a microfiber leaves the least amount of residue. So what we do is we soak the rag and then you wanna get all the water out that you can. I do not want to, to soak these cabinets down for two reasons. Like I said before, you're introducing water into the process. It could seep in there. Also, if you've ever just taken a very sloppy wet rag and wiped a cabinet, all those dust particles get in those water droplets and then they stay there later on. So same process as before. I like a robotic sort of system where you do the same things over and over. So edges first. We do backs. I do the rails and styles. And then I get in towards there. These are a shaker style door. So I'm being very intentional balling the rag up, getting my fingers into that groove. And then with my cabinet racks like this, we always spray the backs first. So I'm gonna flip it over like this. I'm gonna put it back in here and do that. Two options for you here. You can either do one at a time like this. Typically what we like to do is batch operations where we'll have one person on this side of the sanding table, one or two people over there. One person will be S-ing, sanding. The other two people will be V and T, vac and tacking over there. And then you take your rack full of cabinet doors here, my fast rack stuff. You're taking them from here, sanding over there to uh, vacuuming and tacking. And then there's another rack that they rack where it's a clean area over there. You can do either one. Uh, the other thing I wanted to show you was a different style paneled cabinet door. So this is a alder door like this. Um, the reason we use the surf prep stuff is uh, years ago, uh, we still do some hand sanding with uh, sponge pads, but we never do it if we don't have to. Years ago, we used to take random orbital sanders and buzz the flat areas. And then every single one of these details, we used to have to get in here and put that sander on every plane. So we're getting in here, we're getting in the panels like that. And you can tell there's about 32 different motions you need to do separate to this. Now, <laughs> you don't even need to do that anymore. Uh, with the surf prep stuff, you can see these pads conform to those panels like this. So we don't even need the hand sand unless we've got some crazy uh, complicated doors. So same thing with this, with the panelized system, I'll just run you through how we sand uh, these two. every surface on here, just like hand sanding and mechanical sanding wood, like that. All right, so rest of the doors we have here, I just have a bunch to show you here, uh, are all SVT ready to go. We got a couple different shaker styles, a couple different panel styles. We got our alder doors right here uh, that we're gonna spray as well too. And we'll give you a variety of those. While we're at the sanding table, I will show you our SVT process after we prime. So I'm going to take these over and we're going to prime them there together. Uh, but what I want to show you is after our cabinet doors are primed, this is from an actual project we're working on right now. Uh, these are a very standard sort of Princeton colonial style cabinet. 
Uh, they have a flared kind of raised panel. They have kind of an OG right here. And then another uh, style of OG around the outside. Insanely well-built cabinets here. You can see this one probably had a pull-out drawer right there. Um, but solid oak, very good construction. And uh, we do a little bit different after we prime. So the standard process in my company is we SVT, we prime, we flip over, we prime the other one, let it dry overnight. And then the next day when we show up to the shop, we have fully primed cabinet doors that we need to reprep again. Now, as much as we love our sander, we do not use our surf prep on this stuff. You certainly can, uh, but what we like to do is, uh, is hand sand a lot of this stuff. It doesn't take that much work. We use oil primer, we thin it 10%, and it gives us almost no orange peel. And all we're basically doing is smoothing it out, filling some of the pores, giving it an inspection, see if there's anything else we need to do on it. Um, the reason that we hand sand over this, I really wanna use the surf prep on this stuff, but I do find that uh, for people without a lot of experience, you start burning edges on this stuff and exposing raw wood again. And then we either have to reprime or the finish isn't as good. So same thing what we do. And people kind of take this uh, process for granted here because people love discussing ways and strategies to minimize the grain and oak. And you can see done right, it minimizes and almost eliminates all the grain. What we don't promise to our clients is mirror smooth cabinets. What we promise them is filled pores on the cabinets. I'm going to actually show you how we do that later. But a very thorough SVT a very thorough priming and another very thorough SVT will actually fill all those pores without uh, staining by hand, or uh, excuse me, filling by hand. So what we're using is a medium grit, uh, probably about a 150 to a 180 sanding pad. And I'm just being gentle not to burn through any of the primer. We put it on nice and thick, but we still want to be super conscious of not burning through any of that primer. And these inspection lights, you can see, you can see all the little details that you never would any other way. And you got to think about, you know, people always think about sanding as creating a whole bunch of dust and going crazy and, uh, you know, digging through layers. And really all we're doing is smoothing out the layer of primer so that when we put the coat of enamel on, the pores are already mostly filled and we give a nice smooth surface uh, for our enamel. So I'll fire up the backer again. one in real time.
So that is our SVT process in real time after we prime. And what you saw me do there with this is there was a little bit of something stuck right in the sort of like crotch of this uh, OG detail right there. I just plucked it out and then backed up all the dust on there. All right, so now it is time to get over and do some spraying actually and prime. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn the, our rig around here. I'm gonna get our rack over there and we're gonna go prime. All right, come with me. Here we go. You can see all of our racks over here. I'll show you this quick before we move on too far. Um, nice organized shop as we like to have here. So we have our sprayer cubbies right here. All the sprayers for our different enamels and primers and things are all loaded up right here. We typically use Graco 390s, Titan 440s. Uh, the only exception to that is our big boy, our workhorse, horse, old reliable. It's an Elite 3000 that we only use for oil priming. So we leave this thing in oil primer. Uh, we don't clean it out that often. It's just a workhorse. We got a big thing of 10% uh, thin cover stain in here. We got it all rigged up because that's a universal product in our company. But other than that, all of our hoses uh, come through to here to our beloved spray booth. So I will wheel this guy over so you guys can see just like that. And give me just a second and I'm going to go grab the rack of cabinet doors. All right, so what you won't be able to see over there is this thing, which is my beloved fast rack stuff. We keep it close to the spray booth like this. Typically what we do is we work in a, um, in a team. We have an apprentice and then a shop foreman or a craftsperson. Uh, the craftsperson will either be teaching the apprentice to spray or spraying themselves. And then uh, the apprentice or the other person will be feeding them cabinet doors and we'll be putting them on a rack like this. We typically do two at a time to cycle it. Uh, when we get spraying, the Elite 3000 has a continuous cycle. It's a sealed hydraulic unit. Um, the other one we're using is a Graco. Uh, that's just a 390, and that'll be on demand like that. So if you hear the, uh, the constant running of a sprayer, that's our Elite 3000. Other than that, we got our two guns here. Uh, typically what we do, again, we're pretty agnostic. Graco and Titan make great stuff. We use whatever professional guns they have. You can see we got a bunch of Frankenstein machines. We got uh, the beautiful uh, anodized Titan gun. We got a Graco guard and a Graco tip on it. We can use uh, Titan tips, Titan guards on Graco guns, things like that interchangeably. My go-to is a 310. My preference is a 308, but sometimes the sprayers don't get cleaned well enough here in the, in the company or they're just uh, used and abused. So we got to use a 310 orifice because a few other things come through the lines like that. But 310 I find is about the best uh, universal tip for priming and enameling. And yeah, I'll just, I will fire up the prime, uh, the primer here and we'll show you how we set up a spray pattern on this guy as well too. All right, so continuous run on that. So that's a noisy here there. We will safety up and then I'll show you how we kind of set up a spring pad. We have our pull down spray pattern creator here. So this one happens to be already done because this is our, our, our primer, our oil primer sprayer. 
What you're looking for in something like that is very solid and no tails. Tails are those wispy little two lines at the end there. What you want is solid pattern throughout and the last inch or two to kind of just like haze out, to fade out at the ends to give you that nice transition, the ramp up and the ramp down through the spray pattern. So very satisfied with this. Uh, let's turn this sucker around here and we'll prime some doors for you. General theory about spraying in my company is edges first, start away from you, work towards you, 30 to 50% overlap, and you really want to fill the pores. Okay, so there's the primer on those things there. What you'll find that with our oil primer, you're gonna get a little bit of orange peel here and it'll tack up and go into the putty phase in probably 10 to 15 minutes. That open time of the oil primer will allow it to relax and kind of even out. And what you're seeing here on these alder doors is there's some inclusion, some, some knots and things like that. And we do two things for people. <clears throat> we either tell them that they're gonna be there and if they like them, we'll just leave them like that. If uh, they don't want them there, we'll actually use wood filler, ACE water-based uh, wood filler on those and sand them smooth. Typically, what I like to do is prime first and then fill those because you can really see what needs to be filled instead of guessing like that. And as you can see, you want to get these little uh, sharp edges there, all prime, things like that. Lift from underneath and then rack them up again. All right, so now we're gonna do the same thing, but enamel, and I'm gonna show you our pour filling process uh, as well too. So remember, we have those oak kitchen cabinet doors that we're actually doing for a project here. I have enamel, and it happens to be a Scuff X in this one, 390 sprayer, uh, Titan, uh, I believe gun, and then a, a Graco uh, FFLP 310 um, 
tip on there. So we'll put them there. And the theory is we're doing backs first, right? And then we're going to let them dry all day. We do this first thing in the day. Let them dry all day. And last thing before we leave, we flip them over, prime this, and then they dry overnight. And then they're nice and sandable the next day. So here's the, here's the trick for the uh, grain and pour filling. Again, what we don't promise client is glass smooth doors. If they require perfectly smooth glass, glass uh, smooth doors, what we will do is actually tell them you should get new doors because uh, with all the filling and the sanding and the filling and the sanding and everything that it's going to take to get there, our labor will way out price what it is to actually get new doors. And so that's what I normally recommend for people. So what we do promise though is filled pores. We don't want any of those open pores in the oak. So typically what we'll do is a two-step process. When we have a, um, a set, this set is kind of like this, it's pretty okay. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily need the full filling system, but we're gonna go and use these anyway. Typically what we do is a pretty Nylox sprig, two and a half straight cut like this. This is one of the best enamel brushes I've ever used in my life. What we'll do is we'll lay down about a half coat, about a three quarter coat. We'll work it in with the brush and then we'll give it another light mist coat, a quarter coat to a half coat to then help add some more paint uh, to let it stay wet longer and let it get rid of uh, the brush, uh, uh, the brush strokes and things like that. So I'm going to show that to you now. So what you're going to see is the pore filling process. We'll do a lighter coat first. We'll work it in, and we'll do a lighter coat second on the same time. Make sure. Make sure sprayers going here. All right, we're good to go. We'll safety up and we'll get after it here. So same thing, even with enamel 310 uh, standard sort of um, um, standard sprayer 390 or a Titan 440. So here we go. You can see I did a faster coat on that one. And then what we'll do very carefully, go through the filling process. Just the mechanical action of moving a brush over these will help fill. And what I'm doing, I'm following the grain of the wood, the rails and the styles like this. All right, we have touched every inch of that. No major flaws or anything else. So we'll spray another half coat. All right, so what you'll find there is again with the with the scuff X lays out absolutely beautifully. And with that initial coat, it gives us enough paint to kind of work into the pores. We work it into the pores, and then with that second kind of half coat, it lays down enough paint so it doesn't get dry. We want it to stay wet long enough so those brush marks sort of settle out and level out a little bit. So that's basically how we do it, and I'll do one in real time for you here too.
All right. So that's basically the, the spraying process. Obviously, we could run through a 40-door set for you guys, but uh, showing the actual prime stuff and then, um, yeah, going through and that pore filling, that, that encompasses just about everything we do here. So let's bring back up this. So we prime with oil primer, which we did. We did our priming demo. Now, one of the interesting things here is I'll, I'll show you guys if, uh, if the video will translate through here. Um, how we actually spray the cabinet boxes. Give it just a second. We're trying to pull up a YouTube video here. Um, the interesting thing about cabinets uh, for me is that if it's a 40 hour project, we literally take about 36 hours and prepping and de-prepping. And it's very little painting in there, if we're being honest. It's uh, painting almost an afterthought. So if you're watching on YouTube, you're actually, ooh, no, I guess we're not. Okay, video's not coming through, but either way, I can post this video later. But uh, it's me on a fully prepped kitchen priming it, and it takes about four and a half minutes, give or take, once everything is or once everything is prepped and ready to go. So that tells you, uh, basically, um, basically, uh, painting is almost an afterthought of all this stuff. So, all right. So one of the things uh, that we are very pushbacky on in this company is we do not caulk floating panel cabinet doors, right? So when we have when we have a cabinet door like this, this panel is called a floating panel because it does float. It sits inside grooves here and it moves seasonally with humidity and weather and temperature and things like that. And if you were to caulk this thing, at least in my area, when it expands and contracts, it either pulls that caulking and you get kind of like gummy, sticky sort of weird stuff or worst case scenario, it can either crack the panel. So um, I, I'm a firm believer in never doing this. However, there are some master crafts people from areas like Arizona and things like that uh, where they say, Nick, listen, that may be good for you up there, but we actually do that on every one of ours because it's always dry. It's relatively the same temp and we don't get the seasonal movement. So I will say absolutely. Absolutely. That's how it goes. Whatever works for you in your area. All right. Then the enameling process, we just did this and hang tight here, everybody. I'm going to, I'm going to go back through all these questions and we're going to uh, answer them one by one as we get here. I just wanted to make sure that we work through the process here. We did our enameling and pour filling. And then at the end, obviously, we reverse the system. Uh, we put the kitchen back together and we do something called a white glove clean, which is vacuum and sweep the floors, wipe down hard surfaces, get you back in the, uh, in the, in the position we found you maybe a little better at the end. So in the SOP, what you're seeing here is label and leave the paint can. So we have proprietary paint labels where we'll leave all the paint. Uh, we take, not primer, obviously, because that's not useful to the client, but wall paint, cabinet enamel, we'll leave that labeled on site. We will move the furniture back if we moved any of that stuff. And what you're seeing here on Facebook is that beautiful before and after of a, uh, of a painted kitchen here. And then after pictures. Every crew is required to take after pictures of these sort of things. Update our jump sheet and project plan. So again, at the end of the project, we got to list our hours. We got to list the uh, quantity of materials used. That's key to getting job costing information for all of this stuff. And then we load up the van. We, we take all of our gear, all of our stuff, put it in our van in a very clean, specific way, and then leave the site. And that's about it, folks. So I'm going to hide this. Uh, we are in the spray booth, so I think what I will do is we will go through some questions now. Uh, we're going to start with Facebook because there are tons and tons and tons of people watching on Facebook. So 
Good morning, everybody. Love this. If you guys have any questions about anything you saw here today, uh, you let me know. I'm happy to. Uh, I'll even give you a tour of the shop a little bit here, and if you like. So, George, good morning, Chase. <laughs> oh, from Northeast South Dakota. How's it going? Steve Lockwood, literally painting a range hood cabinet and crown molding at my house while I'm watching your show. That's awesome. Rodrigo Francozzi, how's it going, man? Uh, Bonjia, uh, this is Disneyland. Thank you very much. Love this and appreciate your OCD. No details too small. So Aaron, interesting thing. He's mentioned the OCD. This feels OCD. It is absolutely not. Uh, many people waste a lot of time on minutia that doesn't add any value to the client or themselves. And what we do in our SOP, our standard operating procedure, is over the course of the last 15 years of running this business, I have basically stripped this down into only the essential tasks, things like that, that delivers on that promise to the client. So there are areas where I've been down all those OCD aisles. And then I, re I, I find out eventually that you do reach a point where you get diminishing returns or you're not adding any value to the client. And then you back off from there because you want to add value to the client. So um, <laughs> Tony Joseph, I think you're underestimating the lawn signs and what percentage that brings in. And it's hard to track that about brand. So two things. I'm not underestimating. That is an exact number in my business. And it's not hard to track that because when people uh, uh, go to my website and ask for an estimate, we, we ask them to let us know where uh, they heard of us from. And again, it's not perfect, but there's a drop down menu and yard sign is one of them. And consistently, three to 5%, three to 6% of our business comes from that. So we absolutely can quantify that. And we do. And that is an exact number. Dave Pine. Perfect is the enemy of good. Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, just updated our cabinet SOP, trained three new apprentices on it two weeks ago. Love to hear that. Bring those young people into the trades. Um, let's see. Juan Laredo. That's impressive. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning from Galveston. Jimmy Kuhlman. Ronald Vantino. Oil primer. Yikes. Why not latex bonding primer and save the customers that smell? So here's the deal. Um, I have a library of cabinet doors here. Uh, and again, Harken back to the start of this show. I'm not telling you this is the only way. I'm telling you this is the way. I've had zero failures in 15 years, and it also delivers perfectly on the promise that we make to the client. We can promise them anything we want. I promise them this, and we deliver on it every single time. So you can you can promise and deliver and anything you want, but here's the deal. I've tried every hybrid primer, every bonding primer, the vinyl sealers, the conversion varnishes, the polyesters, the things like that. A readily available product that has never failed, even when you don't prep, is that oil primer. And yes, it's stinky. I do not want to use it. I want to go to a water-based system completely. The problem is my data set is one out of 15 or one out of every 20 such a set of kitchen cabinets when you use a water-based bonding primer, either doesn't bond as well as it should or has something bleed through it. Uh, I am waiting, Ronald. I am waiting for that magic unicorn primer that's water-based, sands in an hour, readily available, blocks all stains, sticks to everything. When they make that, I will never use oil primer again. I'm not using oil primer uh, because I think it uh, is the best, although it does not have any failures. And I'm not telling you to either. I'm telling you uh, this is a data point for you when you create your own system. So, George, cabinet doors are meant to expand and contract. Caulking will just crack. Just my thoughts. Same as me. Aaron Fisher, I'm jealous of your downdraft sanding table. Uh, it's a great thing, man. Mark Adams. Great info, Nick. Love to hear from Mark. Uh, Jesse Stevenson. Um, do you guarantee your cabinet work for a certain amount of time? So here's the deal. Um, maybe one out of 30 people who, who we do a kitchen cabinets for ask for a warranty. And here's what we tell them. We don't know how you're going to use them. If you take a metal frying pan and you whack it against your kitchen cabinets, this paint will fail. It doesn't matter if you're using Malaysia, 
ILVA, conversion varnish, polyester, epoxy, cover stain, or even wall paint. The paint will always be the fail layer. Oak is very hard. Frying pan is very hard. Paint will be the thing that fails every time. So when people say, oh, you're, you're going to guarantee this not to chip, I'll be like, yeah, if you don't whack it with a frying pan, it's never going to chip. In my own house, I experienced this. Uh, in, in my last historic home, we enameled all the kitchen cabinets, some new, some old. And my kids have little riding toys and they beat up the corners of the cabinets because they're riding riding toys into the corners of these cabinets. There's no paint that will withstand that. I'm here to tell you that right now. So what I do, I look my client in the eye and say, in 15 years, we've never had a failure. But if you experience one, we're going to be there and we're going to make it right for you every single time. That's what we do. And once a year, we get a call back on a set of kitchen cabinets where they say, my cabinets are chipping. And we're like, wow, that's uh, that's really weird. That that almost never happens. Tell us more. And we usually ask for some pictures first. And nine times out of 10, on the one or two times we go back to a cabinet job every year, and we'll probably do 200 of them a year, give or take. Um, what it is, is the, is the uh, coffee cup cabinet, right? It's the one that's used multiple times a day. It's right at eye level. And what we find out is that typically what happens is somebody's got a bunch of rings on their hand and they get them jammed behind the pole on the cabinet. And then again, the paint will chip. If you do that, if you press hard enough with a diamond, that paint will chip every single time, and especially if you do it six times a day. So we come back and we take an artist brush and we lightly clean the area. We touch it up and it's good for another year until they jam a diamond ring into it again. That's just typically how it goes. So, uh, Frank, good morning <laughs> from Carver County. Good to see you, man, fellow Minnesota. Mark Polos, good friend of the industry. We mark the hinges A and B with the number on the door so we know which one is which. Love that. Armando Lopez, do you leave uh, the top reels? Top reels. I'll need some more information, uh, Armando. Uh, Isaiah, what if you paint the insides of cabinets? Yeah, then you don't need to plastic them off. You do the same process. Just uh, prime, SVT, and then enamel the insides. Same thing. Oh, he's asking about the hinges too. Uh, yeah, so then what we do, do just like Mark said, uh, mark them. And then, uh, yeah, just make sure they're set uh, set with the number of the cabinet door and then AB, top, bottom, thing like that. Perfect. Kui. Uh, do, 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 do. Thank you for the uh, Ted Scharf. Top-notch advice that can be applied to any of the trades with regards to project management and client satisfaction. Professional results are on a budget for the craftsperson and happy customer with a good product. It also equals future work from the customer. Couldn't agree more. Ty Brown, this is great. Thank you very much. Gustavo, how's it going? Glass cleaner and tack rag cleans and dries really well. I agree. Uh, Matt Amorosa, SVT is sand vac tack, sand vac tack. Scott Wolf, this is definitely the most sophisticated painting operation I've ever encountered. <laughs> Nick has every aspect of his business down to a science. Uh, so sophisticated uh, can be taken a couple ways. Um, beautifully simple is the way I would put it. Complicated is another way sometimes people think about sophisticated. This is not. This is uh, arguably, when I travel around the country, this is one of the simplest, simplest, simplest processes to get the highest quality result for your clients that I've seen. Travis Dalen, my friend from Alaska. Very nice. Thank you. Nicole Rosen. Glad to be here. Seth Spangler. Elliot Lund. Ever played with hanging doors and spring? Small hooks added to opposite handles. We're experimenting with now and saving a lot of time. Yes, Elliot. We have gone down that path a thousand ways. I've used every single thing that the cup hinges or the, the cup uh, things that have the hooks on them from Rockler. We've drilled in. We've put uh, cup hooks on the top. We've done every single version of this before. But here's the deal. I love spraying these flat for a couple of reasons. Number one, it almost eliminates any flaws. When you spray something flat, even if you get a spit or something like that or a speck of dust, it all kind of levels out, which is nice. Also, we can get a set of cabinets, uh, kitchen cabinets done 
uh, by doing one side at a time in three days anyway. So yes, we could flip them and we could finish them in two days, but the site still isn't ready until day four. So for us, it's still like, yes, we can do that. Uh, and in fact, uh, if we didn't use oil primer, if we use a water-based bonding primer, theoretically in one very long day, you could finish an entire set of kitchen cabinets, but then, you know, for what cause, you know, it's like our site still isn't ready to accept them. Then they just hang around our shop. So yes, we have done that. I like that process. You can spray both sides at once. It's very efficient. Um, when I do gloss projects, we do that because there's so many coats and we'll do that. Uh, but you also can't put as much paint on when you do that. Like if you actually test the wet mill thicknesses of things like that, you can really get down to it and uh, apply that full wet mill thickness to give you that full build and pour fill that you can't get there. And obviously you got to be a little more skilled to do them hanging so you don't get sags and things like that. And uh, it's uh, it's hard to argue with how little space they take up on these racks as well when you do them, you know, towers like that. So. Elliot, a lot of thoughts, not good, not bad, but I've been down that road a thousand times before and we got data on it. So uh, Diego, do you ever back brush uh, on the primer coat instead of the first enamel? Love that question, Diego. Here's the reason we don't fill the pores on the primer. The primer we use can get very brush strokey, right? It doesn't level out as much. That thick oil primer, when we brush the pores on that, it tends to leave a lot more brush stroke. So what we like to do is prime, seal it, SVT, get it ready. And then the enamel, brush the enamel because that's the thing that levels out a lot smoother. That is an awesome question. Uh, you got your head in this. You are a craftsperson, I can tell. So uh, Jess Stephenson, uh, how do you price out your cabinets? So typically what we do is a very simple process. People have all sorts of algorithms and spreadsheets and this and that. Um, anywhere between $120 and $140 per door and drawer. So count up your average kitchen uh, sets of doors and drawers. It doesn't matter how big, how small, it all evens out. And you'll find the price range to finish just those cabinets is between $120 uh, per door and drawer and $140 a door and drawer. And um, see, I wanted to make a note about something like that. Yeah, obviously, there's wine racks that we take into account. There's glass doors, there's shelves, there's things like that. But honestly, that gets you right about in the price range there of, uh, of just the uh, set of kitchen cabinets. So average set of kitchen cabinets is between 37 and 40 doors and drawers. And that's basically the cost to do that. Some are big, right? So you can get 70 and 80 doors and drawers and you can get some that are 22. The average is about 37 to 40, uh, give or take. Alan Wolkowitz, my good friend. As always, thank you for your professionalism teaching us. Absolutely, man. Happy to do it. Uh, Elite Fishhawk, painting and pressure washing. Nick, thank you, sir, very much for sending your SOP checklist. Happy to do it, man. And today is the example of how we actually use those SOP checklists. So I thought it'd be kind of a fun. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, Aaron Fisher, I guess maximum efficiency is better than OCD. All right, now you swung to the other side, max efficiency. So what you do is you find the simplest system with the least amount of steps to deliver the highest quality and value to the client while also setting your people up for a win. Little kind of in between you right there. Brian Struble, what's your total labor hours for a 20 door kitchen? So that would be 20 times 140 uh, divided by $65 uh, an hour. And that would tell us how many budget hours are in there if we wanna make $65 an hour. Brian Struble, love your thoughtfulness. Uh, Cody Townsend, love the show, thank you so much. Casey. No spray booth and or shop setup for me. I spray in the customer's garage. Recommendation on portable spray and drying rack system. Uh, love the rotating tables. So I've done this before too, right? I didn't always have a world-class finishing facility. So what I would do is make some teardown racks. We made them with two by fours and one buys and two by sixes where it's actually got pegs with PVC or conduit. You can break it down, uh, take it into the client's house, set it up, and you can put 40 doors and drawers right in there in that dining room next to there. And what I would do is just put up zip poles 
and take 12 foot painters plastic around and erect spray booths. I would not bring a dedicated portable spray booth everywhere because that's not very modular. Like you're going to have to insert it into somewhere where you may not have the space. If you bring zip poles and painters plastic, the 12 foot plastic and some furnace filters and an air scrubber, you can make it as big or small as you need. If you only have a five foot by five foot area to spray your cabinets, you can make a little phone booth in there and spray your cabinets. That's what I would do. So nice organized system. Julio, thank you so much, man. Yara Mio. James Sestic, I noticed you're using Scuff-X for these cabinets. Are there any other enamels uh, or are you exclusive Scuff-X? So here's the deal. When I say I use Scuff-X, people infer that I think it is the best, the greatest thing ever, and everything else is evil to use. And that is not the case. I love it all. We got Ilva, we got Malaysia, we got Fine Paints of Europe, we got Sherwin-Williams Emerald Trim Enamel, Pro Classic, Benjamin Moore Advance, all this stuff. I can find a use for every one of those if we promise it to the client, something like that. If I want to promise the client a high gloss thing, I'm not going to be using Scuff-X. I'm going to be using Fine Paints of Europe. I'm going to be using Malazy, uh 92 Sheen, give or take, something like that. I would urge you guys to experiment. Um, the reason, if somebody said, Nick, why do you use Scuff-X? I'll tell them this. Um, it is a beautiful coating. It looks so sophisticated and beautiful. It is a true enamel. It is hard wearing. Uh, it's smooth to the touch. It feels like Teflon. It dries quick. It's readily available. We can get it everywhere. It's not some crazy weird thing we got to ship in, uh, air, freight, uh, thing, things like that. It dries very quickly. It sands beautifully. It sands better than our oil primer. Uh, it lays out flat and uh, it gives us zero problems. So we don't have fish eyes. We don't have crackling. We don't have failures. We don't have chipping. It just is, right? So uh, yeah. And so what I will say, it's a great product for what we promised to the client, for our company, for our people at this time in the market. It fits us well. It's, uh, it is not the only thing you should ever use, right? But for what we promise, it's a, it's a perfect product for us. Danilo Bajia, my friend, down from uh, Brazil. Uh, talked with two Brazilians yesterday uh, at 3M. Uh, that was kind of fun uh, at the world headquarters here. So uh, Michael Shelton, great video, Nick. Did you start with a shop or were you spraying all on site? If on site, where did you set up spraying? Also, do you recommend starting at the brand of racks or other, uh, other than fast track. No, uh, if I have a shop, it is fast track only. These suckers are, you buy one, you will not destroy it. You will not use it up. It is beautiful. It's got uh, bearing wheels on the bottom. I've tried everything folks, right? And what I look for is world-class equipment backed by a world-class human. And when you think about surf prep with the Feria family, world-class equipment, world-class family that supports their stuff and loves us as much as I do. Michael Halverson, uh, owner and creator uh, of Fast Track Equipment. Uh, that dude will literally pack up his truck from Wisconsin and bring me something here to deliver it. Just because he likes seeing the shop, seeing how it's used. He cares about racks the way I care about developing humans, painting, Victorian houses, things like that. So when you find those things uh, in combination, world-class equipment, world-class human, uh, you don't stray. You only use that. So uh, these things are insanely substantial, insanely. What you guys aren't seeing are my passage door rotisseries. They're in my drying room. Maybe I'll bring you through there, but we can, we can put a rotisserie uh, pegs on each side of a, of a six to nine foot door, even garage doors and rotisserie them. And we can stack 13 doors at a time on a thing that one human can move back and forth. So uh, you want to talk about a modular shop. That's it. Use that. You buy it once. You'll never buy anything again. It's the greatest thing ever. Uh, did you start in a shop? No. Uh, I site finished everything uh, for a while. Uh, and then I found shops. I rented shops. I used an old farm building. I, I created uh, white 
surgical suites. I'd created drying rooms and things like that. And uh, yeah, my preference now, obviously folks, I got a training facility. We've got a code approved spray booth. We've got all this and that. This is great if you can do it. Most people don't do that right away. And I didn't either. This is only in the last three years have we had a training facility that was a legitimate training facility and a legitimate code approved spray booth. So I'd be a hypocrite if I told you that you have to do this because you do not. Uh, you can spray on site very effectively, very effectively. Alan Wilkowitz, is the oil bin shellac or actually oil? Uh, what I think you're asking is what is bin? <laughs> uh, so bin is actually an alcohol-based uh, coating. Shellac is a very traditional old finish, mainly in clear finishes. You see historic homes where it has that alligator kind of ambery finish on old wood. A lot of that is actually shellac. It's actually the excretion, the resin from a bug in Indonesia, Southeast Asia, things like that. It makes these little resin tunnels on trees. They scrape it off, they grind it up, they dry it, and then they mix it with alcohol. That puts it into dilution. Alcohol is the thing that breaks it down and makes it into an actual finish. Uh, shellac is just the pigment, uh, excuse me, bin is the pigmented version of that where they put white um, filler uh, in it to then make it white instead of just clear. Now, everybody likes this stuff, right? It's readily available. It dries quick. It sands easy. It goes on nice and thin. Here's the problem, though. There's a lot of science in there. Uh, and it goes up and down with the stock market and price, which is the least of my concerns with that sort of thing. But it is a very brittle coating. I want to be very honest with that. So I am a lover of traditional finishes. I have done shellac finishing before in my life. In fact, for the first 10 years of this business, shellac was actually a, a part of the process before I would apply oil varnish because it's sealed so well and sanded so smooth. But you have to understand it's very brittle. Um, a lot of shellac finishes, even bin and even like bullseye shellac, the clear stuff, you can kind of scratch it off with your thumbnail. So that's the reason we don't use it. Um, but I understand why people do. Um, my impression of being a moderator on a kitchen cabinet um, uh, forum and just being the Ask a Painter guy when people send me all sorts of wild stuff is one out of every 15 to 20 sets of cabinets, you have some wild failure with bin. It doesn't block a stain. It doesn't stick. It crackles. It peels. It does all sorts of weird stuff. So uh, that's the thing that I would say is like one out of 15, one out of 20 is not okay for me. Uh, with the primer we use, cover stain right now. And again, you can use uh, Extreme Block primer from Sherwin. You can use Fresh Start from Benjamin Moore. The theory is oil primer. I'm not telling you you have to use one thing. I'm saying with all the tests, we have a library of cabinet doors that we've done all sorts of horrible things to to make them fail. I've never had a failure with this system. And so from that, we build our systems on, give or take. Do, 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 do. Uh, great workshop. Thank you much. Uh, Frank, do you use this same process with trim basin doors? Yes. That's why we kind of call this the cabinet and trim show. There is no difference. We use the same process, same coatings, everything uh, for trim and everything else. Mike Wells, oil base or pre-cat lacquer for durability or longevity? Uh, neither of them, if you're asking for top coat. Um, that's fine. Oil base uh, enamels, I love them, right? The old satin and purple, that was one of the best enamels on the face of the planet. Sooner or later, it changed probably because of, you know, VOC regulations. And now it's going away in a lot of places. So right now, if you were to say, I'm going to go back to, you know, long oil primer and Benjamin Moore and Pervo oil satin, I'd be like, great, but it's probably going to be outlawed in a couple of years. So it's not a sustainable system. Um, and I would, I would always urge you to move towards the most water-based products you can. 
are the environmentally friendly things because you never know when the hammer is going to drop or the supply is going to go away or there's going to be some outside force that limits your ability to get them, give or take. So Jim Dorf, good morning. Oh, and also lacquer. So here's the deal. When I talked to all those paint scientist nerds at all these coatings companies, uh, I actually got to spend a couple days with a dude who had a doctorate in chemistry who owns a lacquer company and runs a lacquer factory. And he showed me the molecular ball and stick models of all these sort of things, polyesters, conversion varnishes, lacquers, water, oil, bin, shellac, all that good stuff. And what you have to understand about lacquer is uh, it doesn't play well with water and it's very brittle as well. So think about lacquer molecules as long chains, uh, long chains of molecules like this, a bowl of spaghetti. When you apply lacquer to a, a cabinet door, you're basically taking a bowl of spaghetti and dumping it. There's not a lot of cross-linking. There's not a lot of cohesiveness, coalescence, things like that. That wherever the spaghetti lays, it lays. And you can see sometimes you have very small holes that water can't get through. Sometimes you have very large holes that water can get through. And if you've ever seen those white rings on, on uh, end tables, that is actually a little cloud in there. Moisture goes through there and it's trapped and it can't get back out and it makes a little cloud. Um, yeah. And, and uh, we've all seen almost all homes for the last 30 or 40 years, like new construction houses were finished with lacquer in my area. And you look at the windows and they're all peeling in black uh, within five years. And you look at those doors, uh, the, the doors by the dishwasher where it uh, dispenses that moist air and you go under the sink where the water is, especially under vanities and stuff too. And you'll see it's gray, it's black. Uh, when water gets on there, it gets under that finish and it comes off. So I'm not a big fan of lacquers. Again, I'm not telling you you're bad if you use them. I'm just saying they're very high solvents, very smelly. You have to spray them with this other stuff. You can brush this stuff and still get a beautiful professional result. So yeah. Good morning, Mr. Dorf. Russell, Lindsay, have you tried any of the Renner products? Yes. Here's the deal. Because I'm not using them today, because I don't mention them, doesn't mean they're bad. I would urge you to use whatever you can to deliver on your promise to the client. I love all that stuff. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why I don't use them in my company. Uh, there still is a lot of high chemistry. There still is a lot of failures. There's a lot of witchcraft with that stuff. It's not as consistent as this other stuff. Uh, also, some logistics are tough for me in my company. Um, we used, as far as I can tell, about a thousand gallons of enamel last year. And if I had to airship in or drop ship in every gallon of that uh, from out of state, that would be a logistical nightmare for my company. So I do like the stuff. We do use a lot of those. And when I talk about like Renner, Malaysi, Ilva thing, I think of those all as like, that's like wall paints, Sherwin-Williams, Benjamin Moore. They're all sort of similar products, give or take. I can't tell you if one's better than the other. I've used them all. They're really cool products and I like them. And I think five to 10 years from now, They'll either be standardized or they'll go away because of some other sort of regulation or problem. Uh, but either way, I would like them to see a little more readily available, a little more standardized. And I would like uh, us as an industry to get a little, little more um, experience underneath them, too. So it would be very difficult. It would be very easy for me. Like when we had a, a high gloss project to do, we, we picked an ILVA product because it was readily available through one of our manufacturers. We could test it. We could get it. And uh, we did a bunch of experiments in the shop and it's great. And it worked out perfect. And it's wonderful. The problem is we can't do that on every job, right? And we can't be testing and experimenting. When we promise a client, we have to deliver on that promise. So uh, Brian Struble, hanging systems for doors. I just covered that with Mr. Elliot. Uh, you can email me. You, Brian, you got my email. We can go through that too. Um, Angela, what kind of prime can you use uh, in stained kitchen cabinets to paint white? Uh, I'm a big fan of cover stain uh, oil primer, but obviously you can use Benjamin Moore Fresh Start. You can use uh, Sherwin-Williams Extreme Block, uh, all sorts of stuff like that uh, if you'd like to. So Sumter, 
when pricing by doors and drawers, does that cover the prep and paint? Yes, everything. So here's the thing. You can, I'm not telling you, you have to do it this way. When we say 120 to $140 per door and drawer, that's the price for the entire project. The overhead, the sundries, the paint, the prep, all the cabinets, all the boxes, uh, everything else like that. Uh, that's all in. We want a simple pricing strategy to get us to one number where we don't have to do a bunch of calculations and stuff like that. So uh, MI House Painters, uh, thanks, Nick, for sending the SOP and help. I'm looking for those old kitchen cabinets with the wood grain so I can practice. Never done kitchen cabinets. Do you sand between primer and top coat? Yes. Um, we do not sand between our top coats though. You can, we have, it's a great thing, but this stuff lays out so smooth. And if you do a, a really good thorough SVT first and after primer, you're just putting two top coats on an already smooth prepared surface. So, uh, we, we, can, we sometimes go waffle in between that there. So Mike Wells, how many coats of scuff X enamel and do you sand between? Oh yeah, perfect. We do two coats. Uh, my theory of cabinet and trim enameling is always one coat of primer, two coats of top coat enamel, give or take. That's, I don't think you should ever do more than that for anything because otherwise you have to charge a client more or give them less value. And three coats of primer doesn't give the client any more value than one does in, in my eyes, how we promise it. So uh, da, 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 da. just Stevenson shop tour. Yeah, I'll, I'll turn this thing around here. Um, Brian Struble, circle back. Did you say 20 doors times 140 minutes equals? All right. So here's how we come up with a shop budget because we separate doors and drawers gets finished in our shop and then there's stuff done on site. How we come up with a shop budget is we allocate 20 minutes per door and drawer in the shop. So if you have 40 doors and drawers times 20 minutes a piece, that'll give you some number 800. You divide by 60 because you want in hours, not minutes. And that'll tell you how many hours that shop has to complete. I think what it was it? 13, give or take, something like that. I can send you those formulas if you like, Brian. Uh, Diego Rangel, do you have a shop crew or is the crew that breaks down the site? Oh yeah, so we used to do that. We used to have the site crew come back and forth, but um, we've gotten into economy of scale where we have anywhere between you know seven and 12 crews out in the field and we bring back all the cabinet doors here. So a shop foreman plus one helper can be here only doing cabinet doors and drawers to leave that crew on site to do masterful work for that client. So, yep. Asa Davis. Yep, I think you're doing some math here. I can help you with that anytime. Jason Webb, have you ever tried uh, Caparol half primer? Uh, Jason, so, all right, here's the deal. Jason, you're from England, right? If I, if I get that right, we got a lot of different stuff that you don't have and you have a lot of different stuff we don't have. That's not a readily available product over here. If you want to send me some, I'll certainly use it for you. But uh, Steve Lockwood, man, I learned so much from these shows. Oh, my, my comments are skipping here. Uh, I love the fact that you have actual information and data on your comments. It's not just an extreme opinion. No. So again, folks, uh, if you do something other than what I do, you're not bad or wrong. This is just what I do. This is, uh, we deliver on a promise to the client and we want to set our people up for wins and we want to deliver a world-class product finished to our clients with the least amount of time and headache in their house. That's what we do. Scott McDowell, uh, what have you found has helped you with reducing turnover with employees the most, specifically uh, when you're at a point unable to provide benefits? Yeah, so here's the deal. Um, two answers. The unsatisfying answer is I have this sheet like it's called steps to professionalization. There's either seven or eight steps, depending on how you break it down. If you do all that stuff, magically you retain people more. It's being a professional company. You're giving that person the certitude of working with a professional. If you don't have a job description, an SOP, a pay scale, a review process, an employee manual, any of that sort of thing, onboarding, 
things like that, uh, you're going to, you're going to scare people off, right? It just is what it is. There needs to be everything that a professional business does in order to keep people. What I found too, is that the best way to keep people is I put a very high demand on them, but then I offer them a very big reward. So in my company, we need to get a lot of stuff done at a very high level. And if you pay people 15, 16, 17 bucks an hour, they're going to be like, wow, that's a lot of uh, stress on me. And you're not paying me that much. So what I do is we pay people a lot of money and give them a lot of opportunity to get raises, possibly a dollar an hour, four times a year with health insurance, retirement, paid time off, four day work week, all that other stuff. But you got to accomplish these simple things. And the three main things are show up to work attendance. We need about 2000 hours a year from you or 500 hours a quarter. 75% of all your projects have to hit a budget. And then also you have to hit us with those four updates almost daily. And if you do those three things, you're basically setting yourself up for $4 worth of raises every year that you work with me. And you'd be surprised how many people do and don't do that. It just is what it is. So yeah, high, um, high demand, but high support and put out a big thing you want. Yeah. The, the truth in the trades right now, uh, you're going to have to pay a lot because there's a stigma in the trades that people don't like this. And we know this is awesome. This is satisfying. I get immense satisfaction from this. We're providing immense value to clients. I know the freedom opportunities, both in time and money that this can give you. There's a lot of people who uh, have heard a bad rap about the trades and it's probably been true for 40 years and uh, it's not anymore though. And it's changing. So for the meanwhile, you're going to have to overpay for labor and it is what it is. So, yep. All right. Mike Wells, do I love your analogy and all your processes. You have helped me in my business grow over the years. Thank you so much. We incorporate uh, your way and our clients are always satisfied. Man, that's really nice. Um, Adam Kimball, Coverstain has some of the highest levels of VOC. Yes, it does. It also doesn't fail. So we are in the lesser of two evils world here where we love all the water-based primers. We love sticks. We love extreme bond. We love everything that everybody offers. The problem is one out of 15, one out of 20 sets of kitchen cabinets fails miserably. And that's not acceptable for me or for our clients. So for now, we have negative air machines. We have air scrubbers. We have a code approved spray booth. We have respirators. We have safety training in our company. We keep every human safe if they follow our safety protocol and we keep our clients safe. You saw, if you go back to the start of the show, we actually put filters into the air returns and air vents in people's houses. We tent it off with... Um, um, uh, with zip poles and stuff like that. Uh, and we have a negative air machine or air scrubber on site. And yes, there's one smelly day in this process, but everybody can function in their house, sleep at night, things like that. Also, devil's advocate, if you want to talk about VOCs, bring in some of those new 2Ks, 1Ks, all those other things in there, uh, the water-based polyurethanes. Those suckers will knock you over like a ton of bricks uh, in no way that oil primer ever will. So let's uh, let's be fair uh, when we think about uh, what we consider a VOC and, and the order of products. So, all right, man. I finally got through the Facebook stuff. Let's go through the Instagram and then we're going to call it a day because these are turning into two hour shows, folks. And I want to be respectful of your time. So holy cow. Thanks everybody for watching today. This is just awesome. Uh, Cutting Edge Painter. We priced ourselves out of cabinets. The only ones we win are mahogany sets that need to be painted. This is uh, what is everyone charging for doors and drawers? Uh, and what's the sprayed cabinet price range? So uh, it's probably not true you're pricing it out. You're either over-promising, under-promising, meeting the wrong clients, uh, or your process is too complicated, honestly. So we do a couple hundred sets of kitchen cabinets a year. We provide immense value to the clients. And we also make sure the company is afloat based on those things. So Cutting Edge Painter, happy to correspond with you. Nick at nickslavic.com. If you need something like that, we can discuss because that's, that's an interesting sort of thing. Uh, Matt Bilsma. 
I have a Mercosander, but how do you like the surf prep? Yeah, surf prep is world class, man. So again, what you the theory is not just the actual sander itself. You want a world class support system, and the family who owns surf prep, the Ferias, are world class humans. Uh, they're uh, I look up to them as what a family should be, what a family business should be, and even just how a business should be. So uh, when you get those two things in combination, a world class piece of equipment, the Ferrari of of Sanders, and a world class family, uh, look no further, no further. All right, just scrolling through IG here. Do, 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 do. <clears throat> Is it just me? I take both stove and fridge out of the kitchen. You're not wrong, right? If you promise that to the client, you got to deliver on it. The problem is we're not plumbers. We're not electricians. I'm not unhooking a gas line in a house. Never for the rest of time. We are not doing that. So we prep them in place. Do, 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 do. Scrolling through IG, man, we got a lot of people watching today. Uh, Duarte, you need a cameraman. Yeah, so here's the deal. We are a low footprint, easygoing, live off the cuff show. So uh, I wish you could see my setup here. We're live broadcasting in three different places. And I got quite a broadcast rig right here. And for again, for the least amount of effort, we're producing the most amount of stuff. And I'm following through with my promise to you guys to give you good content. So Tucker Painting Company. I feel like I'm a door on your project. <laughs> Love that. Love that, man. Tucker, uh, you know you're a painter when there's no trouble at all deciphering language through the spray mask. Absolutely, man. Yeah, that's uh, it's almost like the Darth Vader helmet. You can you can perfectly hear that. Do, 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 do. Yeah, Tucker Painting Company. Our grain fill process is the same. Order new doors if you want smooth. Yep. <clears throat> Here we go. Pivotal painting. I just painted a cabinet job with Scuffix and started to have a crater uh, in effect on all the drawer faces. How long do you let it dry before the second coat? I would dry it, sand it, uh, and then do one test door and spray over the top. Here's the thing. I don't experience that stuff. And it's not because I'm better than you. It's just because we don't experience it because we have an SOP that almost eliminates all these weird things. <clears throat> Pivotal painting. <clears throat> Here's the thing I don't want you to take personally. All right. It's almost never the paint. It's almost always human error. So when you try to solve this problem, think about it in what is your prep process? Did you put some sort of cleaner, contaminant, chemical residue on there that would cause cratering? Typically, surface contamination is what causes fish eyes, cratering and other stuff. We don't experience that here, uh, especially over oil primer. So uh, many things could happen. But honestly, and again, don't take this personally, almost every paint failure is human error. It is never the can of paint. It is very, it is almost never the can of paint. All right. If you think that you have a situation where you have bad paint, honestly, it's probably not. Right? Approach it like that. All right. Just approach it like that. Uh, Tucker, uh, the unicorn primer you just mentioned is called Envirolac 170. Maybe. But remember, one of my criteria is readily available. So dial up my address of this company and show me where my nearest distributor is. And then we're all in. Best thing to do when a client asks for a warranty is to point out uh, your state's implied warranty laws. Yeah, well, that's good too. But um, I'm always careful to be like, we actually have it stated in our, um, in our info sheet in our contract that, um, yeah, we offer a lifetime warranty through the manufacturer. If the coating itself actually fails, we'll go to the manufacturer and stand up for you. For workmanship, if it fails, we'll be there. We will guarantee every set of kitchen cabinets verbally to you. We just never have a failure. And that's the thing you want to uh, you'd be there.
thoughts on the best finish for coding for cabinets, whatever you promise to the client, whatever you can deliver every single time without flaw or failure, that would be uh, the best coding for cabinets. Make sure I don't forget anything. How do you avoid overspraying the underside of the door when spraying flat? All right, so here's the deal. <clears throat> you got a kitchen cabinet door and you're setting it here like this. When you're spraying, <clears throat> best practice is to not go 180 degrees perpendicular to the cabinet door because you're going to get overspray in the backside. What you want to do is not necessarily 45 because sometimes you won't feel the oak grain. Give it about a 35. Give it about a 30, 35 degrees, something like this. So everything that doesn't hit the cabinet door goes down, but you're still addressing the edges of the cabinet like that. That's what I would do. And that's what we do here without uh, overspray there. What are your what are your favorite two drying racks? All right, it might be time for a little mini shop tour here. Um, fast rack, right here. I'll back this sucker up. These things are these things are my favorite. So again, not only are they built really well, uh, Michael Halverson, the owner, is just like the best dude on the planet. Uh, he engineered these. He makes them. Sometimes he even paints them. Uh, he hand delivers them to my shop. I've been to his shop. Our core values are the same, and he's just a good dude. So insanely well-built. These are the sturdiest things ever. We have six, eight of them in the shop here. We can. This will fit an entire set of kitchen cabinets on there. Uh, ball bearings, you can just roll around like this. Super sturdy. They're not going to flop over. Uh, they can hold an immense amount of weight. Uh, also, what I will do is I'll see if I can mobile unit. We're getting a little wobbly here because we, we don't have the roller bearings on this uh, table, my little broadcast table here. But I'm going to wheel you over to our drying room. And what you're seeing here is a modular room. This is called the test bedroom. It's also called the drying room. So in this little thing, and what you're seeing on Facebook is we built a cube down here. This is a replica of a 15 by 15 foot bedroom, right? You can see a fake window in the back. There's outlets, there's baseboards, there's can lighting. There is a textured ceiling. When we fire up an apprenticeship program, we actually bring people in here and we train them on how to prep and paint walls. When we're not doing an apprenticeship, we actually wheel all our racks in here. We have some space heaters, we have some fans, and depending on how we're using the room, we can actually heat this up to about 75, 80 degrees, get air movement. And then we have this guy, uh, a vinyl curtain with something you can peek through to make sure the heaters are running and things like that uh, to keep the heat in. So one of my, uh, my other favorite rack is this thing. This is also from Fast Rack, but what you're seeing here So these, these are our passage door rotisseries. So every slot can fit a passage door and you can, this can move in and out. So you can put a 10, 12 footer on there if you want. You can put a six foot eight door. You put two pegs in the tops and bottom of the doors and it allows it to rotate around. We have one of these set up where we just spray, we leave it in the booth. And then with those two pegs, we pick it up and rack it here. You can put 11, 12, 13 doors straight up and down here like this. We wheel them in here, we put a fan so it blows air through them. And one person can move about uh, 13 passage doors by themselves around modularly in this shop. We can pack them into the corner. So uh, theoretically, we can fit about seven or eight sets of kitchen cabinets here and probably about 50 to 80 uh, passage doors in a 15 by 15 foot area drying overnight, things like that. So those are my favorite drying racks.
Man, awesome here. Going through IG right now. Ah, Patrick Seezy, do you ever uh, need a light SVT between top coats? Once in a while we do, right? If we get a little dust in the shop or if we just feel like it could just benefit from one more smoothness, we'll do it again. Uh, one of the benefits of ScuffX, it dries insanely fast and it sands actually better than cover stain. And you can get it really, really smooth in that. So, ah, fine finishes. How you doing, man? Good to see you. Ah, uh, let's see. All about the paint. What do you use if not bin to block? Uh, we use cover stain oil primer, uh, but the theory is oil primer for us is still readily available. It's never failed in 15 years and uh, it still uh, does a great job. And we certainly don't like it. We don't like the smell, but there is not a readily available, no fail every time system that we found in our area yet. So we, we test every, every winter here. So to do... <laughs> All right, man, there's a lot of comments and stuff today. So this is one of my favorite shows of the year here too. So let's see here. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Patrick, uh, our fine paints of year of top coats finicky. What uh, would you need experience to work with that product? Yes and yes, yes and yes, yes and yes. Having said that, I love it. It's one of the best paints uh, I've ever used. The problem is the market for that sort of high gloss, super high end 14 step finish doesn't exist in my market like it does in some others. Uh, we've done them before. Uh, I've got my test uh, cabinet doors. Um, I have the SOP for it and everything. It takes a ton of experience uh, to do it really right. Yeah, you can do it, right? But having that craftsperson brain and applying it to each step, you're going to have to do a lot of problem solving. It's not a dumb, dumb finish where you can do stuff and it turns out well. Many, 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 many things need to happen correctly all at once <laughs> to get that finish good. They're very finicky, but they're very beautiful. Yeah. Ah, the 210 painters, what tools do you ask your new hires to have? A good attitude. Um, as an employer and if they're a W2, I believe you should provide all the tools for them. <laughs> all about the paint. I've learned a lot. Where have you been all my life? So I have been in this industry 30 years. Uh, I started when I was very young in the family business. I've owned this business for 15 years. Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration. And I've also been broadcasting live weekly for almost seven years. So uh, do some Google search and we're out there. I have seven years worth of archive videos, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and now TikTok, all this other stuff. So do, 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 do. let's see what else we got here. Man. Why not the 2K opposed to something like cover stain? All right. I know everybody has not watched the entire uh, two-hour broadcast. I like those products. They're great. Uh, there's still a lot of failures with them. There's still a lot of high chemistry. They stink really bad. Like they, they can affect your brain in some very uh, specific ways. Uh, also, they're not readily available in my area. Um, yeah. It's, it's the, if I had to point to one reason why we don't convert the whole company over though, it would be there's still some witchiness to those things, some witchy science out there where you do everything right and still something happens a little bit, uh, a failure here. So, yeah. <laughs> Pivotal painting. Thanks, Nick. It was human error. I believe at some point, watered down paint got in the line. Ah, boom. That would be a great explanation. Not one of the ones I mentioned. That is a great explanation. So, all right. Uh, Patrick Official, thanks for the tips. All right, one last scrub of Facebook, and then we're going to call it a day because these shows are getting long, folks, and I'm sorry for it, but I, I want to get the information out there archived for all you nerds who want to watch this. So 
Aaron Fisher, I appreciate you how open you are with your info. I send my kitchen cabinets uh, your way whenever they need painting. Thanks, man. That, that trust really means a lot to me. I appreciate that. Lindsay, how much per hour do you have to charge to be able to pay your craftsperson top pay? Here's the thing. We cannot charge by the hour. We charge by the job in the hopes that we produce it in a profitable way like that. Um, but the answer to your question is, I believe firmly that there should be no paint business owner that produces less than $55 of revenue an hour, produces less than $55 an hour. You hear a lot of BS online about, I charge this per hour. The question you should be asking is, okay, you can charge whatever the hell you want, but what do you actually produce? I believe no professional trades company can even survive on $55 an hour or less. You should be at least 75. And uh, when I was a solo painter, I was producing at least $150 an hour just because I'm impatient. I move super fast and I love this a whole lot. That's not always the key for everybody, especially employees, give or take. Uh, da, 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 Asa, Brian Struble. I thought I was on the right track. Now I'm unclear. I might have to go back and double check once this video. <laughs> Good morning, Nick, Eric Sowers, uh, Brian. Da, 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 da. Let's see. Eric, do you ever use sticks? Some guys in my area swear by it. Yes, sticks is awesome. Right now, uh, sticks would probably be my next go-to. If cover stain disappeared, oil primers disappeared, I would probably either go to Extreme Bond from Sherwin-Williams, the water-based uh, option there, or sticks. But I would be open to the fact that one out of 10, one out of 20 cabinets, there's going to be a stain bleed or there's going to be chipping. You just have to do that. That's my data set, folks. You may have operated for 10 years using sticks and you've never had a bleed. You've never had a chip. And that's awesome. But that's been my experience using that stuff. Uh, one out of 10, one out of 20 will bleed or chip. And to me, that's like, I don't want to stand in front of a client and say, eh, what are you going to do? We ruined your kitchen. One of those things. So uh, Rodrigo, thank you for the content. Uh, world-class painter. <laughs> Stop it, George. Uh, Christian, so I joined the live. I'm not sure if this question has been asked. What are your thoughts on cabinet coat? It's fine if that's what you uh, offer to the client. Uh, it's not readily available. It's a little, it's a great product. Uh, it's it's very easy to apply by hand. Uh, it is a little soft uh, for what we do. I find that it's it's probably like wall paints are soft and, and malleable. Uh, enamels are harder and smoother and more durable. I feel it's kind of a halfway in, in between. Um, we stopped, um, I, I dabble in that stuff. It's fine, but it's not our go-to, uh, for that reason. So, uh, Eric Sowers has TikTok been a good source for you. Depends on what you're looking for. Uh, I post a lot of fishing videos and they get a lot of response. And I post a lot of stuff about my box blind cabin that I made. And that gets an incredible response. Hundreds of thousands of views. Uh, you're not finding employees or work off there right now. It's just depending on how you use it, just like anything else. So Jeremy Gilliland, good morning. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. We've, we've used up all the comments. We've done it. It's another two hour show. I think these are important. This has been another in the uh, series of mastering the basics. The first show we did last week, I showed you about SOPs. I gave you the theory. I showed you how checklists work. I showed you how training, and then I gave you my email address and sent all of them. I sent over hundred emails to people, uh, other painters and paint business owners with uh, stacks, packets of my SOPs. I'll do the same if you go back, watch that show, get my email address. This one, I wanted to show you an SOP in action. And this is one of my favorite shows of the year where we actually paint something like this. And we're actually in my beloved finishing shop right here. I love this place, uh, the Slavic shop. You can actually watch its inception if you follow the hashtag Slavic shop. 
Uh, and you can see from the time I bought it, built it out to where we are now. Also, there's a whole bunch of links here uh, in this. Oh my God, I am I have so such low self-esteem. I forgot to ask you guys for something. So here's the deal. Um, the kindest thing you can do for me is to just share this. Just hit share wherever you are. If it's in Instagram, throw it in your story. If it's in TikTok, repost it. If it's in Facebook, put it in your story and reshare it as well. You don't even have to say anything. Just share it. That literally is the kindest thing you can do for me. Uh, if you want any of my SOPs, if you want that info sheet, that contract, any of that stuff, you can email me, tell me what you want, and I'll send it to you. I am not a consultant. I have nothing for sale. People have done me solids over the years by giving me information. I put it together. I broadcast it out, and I will do the same for you. And I would ask that you pass it on, uh, pay it forward as well. So, all right, everybody. I appreciate this. Share this show so we can get some more like-minded people involved. And uh, you guys have a good rest of the weekend. This has been an awesome time in the shop with you guys today. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.